Welcome to the podcast of RUF at Boston University. Well, cool. Well, welcome to RUF. Uh, I, I know you guys, uh, my name is Nathan, um, the campus minister with RUF is my eighth year, and it does feel weird being back in this place because, um, yeah, this is, where we, this is where it all began. This is where we started. So um, this is a long passage. And it's a discourse, it's a dialogue, and it's pretty complicated. Uh, but I want to try to break it down for you guys. Um, I think there's going to be some good discussion too, so I'm going to try to leave some uh, cool discussion for later. But um, yeah, let, let, me, let me just say a prayer. Heavenly Father, would you just be with me as I uh, speak and try to bring clarity to your word? I pray that. Um, your words uh, would uh, just remain, and mine would fall away. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so religious people, no one would deny, are longing for something more. That's why they do religious things, right? That's why they have religious practices, and it's their system of belief that brings meaning to their longings. They said, I don't want to do life without this religion. This brings me some sort of meaning. But as you guys have probably heard and maybe even seen among your peers, more and more people are claiming to be non-religious, having no religious affiliation whatsoever. But I think what you're still able to discern are some themes uh, that people seem to still believe and retain these beliefs today. I think one um, is this idea of karma. Uh, I think many people have said before that we, we have this inherent view of justice and we have this inherent view that if you do something wrong to someone, somehow in some way it's going to come back to you. I think that's something that's endured even though we've given up religion. Maybe that uh, what goes around comes around idea uh, remains. But we have a strong belief in justice, right? Um, more than that, we, we think there's something out there that connects us to one another. I think you see this when like a crisis happens or suffering comes. We, we want to be connected by something larger than ourselves that brings us together. Um, and at the end of the day, we're all in the same boat, right? I think there's an awareness that even if you are religious, even if you're not religious, we all have this awareness of there is suffering, there is pain, and we want something uh, to deal with. We want some way to cope, right? Jack, you knock it out of the park. We'll see it. Um, so I think, I think if you could sum it up, it would be that humans um, know something is not the way it is supposed to be. And you long for them to be the way they are supposed to be. So we're going to talk about longing tonight. What are you longing for? What are you desiring? C.S. Lewis, a great, great author. If you've ever read anything from him, you've probably seen a movie, The Chronicles of Narnia, that whole series. Uh, C.S. Lewis inspired. Um, but he talks about this in some of his writing, and he uses a German word, and I apologize, I'm going to butcher this, but uh, Zunsucht. S E H N S U C H T. C.S. Lewis defines it this way. Uh, in our English language, it doesn't really get at it. Longing, yearning, 
but this is how he defines it. He says, that unnameable something, desire for which pierces us like a rapier at the smell of a bonfire. The sound of wild ducks flying overhead. The title of the well at the world's end. The opening lines of Kubla Khan. The morning cobwebs in late summer or the noise of falling waves. He said each one of those kinds of instills in us this nostalgia for the future. This kind of memory of something, that's, that is the way it's supposed to be. But you hope for it, and you hope to one day get there. Uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia, the, the children's series, um, there's this um, scene where uh, the kids, you know, they, they go through the the, the wardrobe, and they're into this land of Narnia, right? And this is uh, what they say. It still seemed to be early in the morning freshness was in the air. They kept on stopping to look around and to look behind them, partly because it was so beautiful, but partly also because there was something about it which they could not understand. I, I'm not going to do the British accent, sorry. <laughs> Peter, said Lucy, where is this, do you suppose? You know, they're first being introduced to this world of Narnia. I don't know, said the High King. It reminds me of somewhere, but I can't give it a name. Could it be somewhere we once stayed for a holiday when we were very, very small? It would have to be, have been a jolly good holiday, said Eustace. I bet there isn't a country like this anywhere in our world. Look at the colors. You couldn't get a blue like the blue on those mountains in our world. Lucy said, they're different. They have more colors on them. And they look further away than I remembered. And they're more, more, well, I don't know. More like the real thing, said the Lord Diggory softly. More like the real thing. Uh, we, we have this knowledge of, even though we see beauty around us, we, we know there's something out there. Uh, there's a place out there that's even more beautiful than that thing that we see. So tonight we're going to be talking about the, the longing, the yearning, the sunsort of your soul. The desire that you have for home, this hope, this memory um, that you have in your soul, in the deepest part of you. And this is the simple truth I'm trying to get across. It's kind of the main point. Jesus is the bread of life. And he gives us himself. And so your hunger, your longing, is for Jesus. All right, I said there, uh, I, I might have said this, I might have not. There are six parts to this dialogue in our passage. And then each one reveals a different way that our hearts try to satisfy the longings of our souls. Um, if you're taking notes, um, I'll try to list them off. I'll try to remind you where we are. Um, the first one, we try to satisfy our hunger materially. Secondly, we try to satisfy our hunger through performance. Thirdly, we try to satisfy our hunger through extraordinary experiences. Fourth, we try to satisfy our hunger through transactions, usually relationships. Fifth, we try to satisfy our hunger through knowledge. And sixth, we try to satisfy our hunger bloodlessly, without blood. So let's go through each one of these. We try to satisfy our hunger materially. 
right before this long dialogue that we just read, two things have happened. One, Jesus walked on water. We talked about that last week. The other thing is Jesus fed over 5,000 people. He multiplied loaves and fishes to be able to feed that many people, probably way more than 5,000 because they didn't include the, uh, the children and the women with them. So this is incredible, incredible, miraculous stuff. And he's gaining a following because of this. I mean, if you've heard about this guy who did these things, you probably want to see him for yourself. And you heard he was across the Charles River. You would probably go. And you would probably try to see him, even if it had been waiting in line at the TV garden. So people do go. They find out that he had gone across the Sea of Galilee. It was kind of mysterious. They didn't see him get into any boat, but somehow he ended up in Capernaum. Um, so they themselves got into these boats, and they went to him. They said, Rabbi, means teacher, when did you come here? How did you get here? What are you doing? And Jesus, seeing into their hearts, this is in verse 26, he answers them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, not because you, I did these miracles, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. What is this saying? It's saying that these people, and us as well, we want full stomachs. We want to be satisfied materially. God wants to fill us with eternal life. Second, we try to satisfy our hunger through performance. Look at verse 28. They respond and they, they catch on to this, this thing that Jesus had said before. He said, work for the bread that brings eternal life. And so they latch onto that. They say in verse 28, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answers them in a really mysterious and strange way in verse 29. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. This is maybe where it gets close to home. Uh, we trust satisfy our hunger through performance. Um, this is a chronic illness among students. It's our grades. We get graded on our performance and weekly, monthly, semester basis. It's so easy to think of our relationship with God, uh, our relationship with others in this kind of way. Your input relates to the output. And I think I'm a big fan of checklists and to-do lists. Like I always write something down immediately if I need to get it done. And now I've moved to digital, and it's great. I would love just a to-do list. God, give me the bare minimum so I can sit back and rest. We want a to-do list. We want to be able to perform our way to satisfy the longings of our souls. But God wants to tell of the work he has done and he is doing. In other words, it's not our to-do list. It's not our work. There is a big check on the most important item on our to-do list, which is to satisfy the righteousness and holiness that God requires. God has given us that in Christ. It is finished, Jesus said on the cross. God wants to tell of the work that he has done in 
Jesus. This is the work of God that you believe, that you merely receive with open hands. Three, we try to satisfy our hunger through extraordinary experiences. In verse 30 it says, what sign do you do that we may see and believe? Now they had just seen a huge miracle and they didn't believe. An enormous miracle, like unbelievable. They're still asking for a sign before they believe. And they refer back to um, the wilderness when the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness. Moses was leading them and they were hungry and they cried out to God and God gave them manna. God gave them bread from heaven. It literally was this bread that fell from heaven and they're able to satisfy their physical hunger. And Jesus responds to them. He says, it was not Moses who gave you that bread. Uh, it was God. It was my Father. And my Father, God, has given you true bread that has come down from heaven. I think this is um, how this relates to us. We, we want something that's extraordinary to give us proof to believe. Right? Maybe you know someone who, who chose the religion that they chose because something extraordinary happened to them. Maybe some sort of uh, existential experience happened to them, and it's really hard to argue against that. But we kind of want that even as Christians. We want proof. We want to experience something, and we want it to be flashy and big, and we want it on our terms. We, got, we want a big magic show in front of us. But get this, God wants to give you himself. He is the extraordinary sign. He is the miracle. He is saying, I am right before you. I am the bread of life. You thought manna was cool? I am the bread of life. God wants to give us himself personally. So number four. We try to satisfy our hunger through transactions. In verse 34, he talks about this bread, this extraordinary bread. And they say, sir, give us this bread always. Give us this bread always. They're catching on maybe a little bit. But Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. and Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And he goes on to talk about how he will never cast out those who come to him that anyone who comes to him, he will raise up on the last day, that there's this never giving up, always and forever, as the children's storybook Bible says. It's that kind of love. It's that kind of uh, bread that you're getting. It's the kind you don't need any more of. But what are they asking? They're saying, give us this bread always. I think there's some slight nuance to how they say it that indicates to me that they want a vending machine, God. They want this bread on demand when they want it, repeatedly. How many of you have prayed, thinking, hey, I'm going to get exactly what I want because I'm sitting down and praying. God must be so proud of me. 
uh, I'm gonna put this coin in to the register and see what comes out. I mean, th think about it. If we got every single thing we asked for in our prayers, um, I'm not sure that would be a good thing. Now, children ask for many things. If we gave them everything they wanted, where would they be? My son would just be <laughs> drowning in marshmallows and chocolate and uh, all the good stuff. But we know that that's not what we need, right? God gives us something himself so that we will never hunger or thirst again. He is not a vending machine God. He, he knows exactly what we need. He knows the depths of our desire, of our longing, and he says, I know, and I can satisfy that because I am the bread of life. We want an on-demand craving satisfaction, but God wants us to never hunger or thirst again. Number five, we try to satisfy our hunger through knowledge. Verse 41 and 42, the Jews grumbled um, again, and they say, how can you say he's the bread that came from heaven? If anyone comes from heaven, they are sent by God, which means um, essentially they're saying, is Jesus saying that he is God? And in verse 42 it says, it's not this Jesus, which was a common name back then in this um, time and place. He's the son of Joseph, the carpenter, whose father and mother we know. This was a normal guy. How can he say he came down from heaven? And Jesus, in his response in verses 43 through 51, he says, it's written in the prophets that you will be taught by God. And here he is, standing in the synagogue, teaching them. He's not claiming to be a prophet. He's saying, the prophets wrote about me doing exactly what I'm doing right here, which I am teaching you, and I am God. We think we know God, but no one knows God who does not know Jesus. We can't have any knowledge of the love that the Father has for us. We can't have any knowledge of God himself without Jesus. If you've wondered, like, man, I really want to know more about God, get to know Jesus. Jesus reveals the Father. Jesus displays and demonstrates the love that he has for us because he came to earth to rescue us out of our sin and misery. We want to know God. We want to have the answers. We want to think we, we have it figured out. If you're an intellectual type, this is, um, this is the, uh, the tendency that we have. But no one knows God who does not know Jesus. I think there was a time in my life where I thought I knew God, but I really didn't like Jesus. And it was my time in sitting in the Gospels and encountering this Jesus who confounded so many things that I was desiring, so many things that I thought I knew about God, so many things that I thought I wanted from him. 
He was revealing who God is. No one knows God without knowing Jesus. Number six, we try to satisfy our hunger bloodlessly. Now, I don't know if that's a word, but we try to satisfy our hunger without blood. Let me explain what I mean by this. In verses 52 um, onward, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, this is where it starts to get weird for them. Verse 53, Jesus responded, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. After the feeding of the 5,000, there's this one little verse, this one little line, you can look back to see it. The reason Jesus escaped um, however he did it says that the, the people were coming to take him by force to make him king it's this it's pretty wild um, that's what they were trying to do they thought Jesus has come this, is, this might be him and if it's him then this is the way it's going to look like he's going to take the throne and there's going to be victory and we are going to reign with him forever and here Jesus is saying, you don't get it. I have come to give my life, to pour out my blood for you. I think one way this relates to, uh, to me personally and to, to maybe some of you is we want salvation without having to face the mess um, of our hearts. We want salvation to come triumphantly, to come cleanly and neatly without there being any blood. Um, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross shows us in gory detail how um, evil the sin of our hearts was that Jesus had to come and die. Why did he spill his blood? It was for us. He gave his flesh and his blood so that we can live forever. Obviously, the cross is not the end. We eat of his flesh and blood, which of course is symbolic. We I remember this every time we, we participate in the communion meal or the Eucharist. In church, we remember this flesh and blood, the bread and the wine, the blood that had to be um, that had to happen, that had to be shed for our salvation, for victory. So I've gone through these six things. I'm going to try to tie it all together. How do we? How do we start yearning for the right thing? How do we come to Jesus and say, okay, you are the bread of life. I'm desiring all these other things. How can you truly satisfy me? When will we stop our searching for that thing to trust in? When will we trust in Jesus? When will we eat of his body and drink his blood? A telltale sign of what we long for, um, not 
going, not being able to fill us up is when we get it and our response is, is this it? How many of you guys have felt that way? Maybe your admission to be you, you're like, oh. <laughs> like, is this it? This is what I've been praying for, working for my entire high school career. I know some of you guys would work so hard in high school, and then you come to BU, and it's like, wow, is this, is this it? Is this what I've worked for? I think about this when you um, get out of college and land that job that you've always wanted. Prepare yourself for that feeling. Is this it? Maybe the, uh, the person you had a huge crush on, and you go out on that first date, or you hang out, and you start texting or whatever, you realize you guys are on the same page, this is going well, and afterwards you're just kind of like, this is it, this is great, but there's something more, there's something more. In the uh, Tolstoy novel by Anna, um, not by Anna Karenina, the novel by Tolstoy called Anna Karenina, there's this character called Vronsky, and of course Tolstoy is just eminently philosophical and deep. So bear with me, it's a short, short quote. He says uh, this, Vronsky, meanwhile, despite the, the full realization of what he had desired for so long, was not fully happy. He soon felt that the realization of his desire had given him only a grain of the mountain of happiness that he had expected. It showed him that the eternal error people make in imagining that happiness is the realization of desires. Isn't that the mistake we make? That it's just around the river bend. It's just around the corner. Once we realize that next desire, then we're going to be happy. But if we're honest, we're not happy now. And once we get around the corner, once we get that desire, man, it's not what we thought it was going to be. Um, if you desire uh, sex, you'll realize the afterglow goes away quickly. You're left empty. If you desire success, you may get to the top and you'll see how lonely it is. And you'll see that you're as empty as ever and there's nowhere to go. If you desire knowledge, maybe some of you guys are going to go on to do advanced degrees and postdocs upon postdocs. You may end up knowing a lot, but you have no idea why you make your girlfriend angry. Why your knowledge, even of the world, depresses you. Sometimes you wish you didn't know so much. If you desire wealth, there will be a day when it will disappear. If all you desire is comfort, you will never get to the bottom of your hunger nor will you realize that your problems require messy and uncomfortable things. Um, this is uncomfortable work, right? Um, this work of belief um, in God requires laying down those desires and saying, God, it is you I desire above all else. Good grades, religious practice, doing charity work, reshaping your identity, keeping God out of the dark places in your heart. None of these things will satisfy you, but there is one who will, the bread of life. The bread of life. If we trust in him, we will live 
forever. Though our body may die, we will live again. Though you may never meet this, though you may never meet your life goals, though you may never meet that perfect soulmate, though your life may be full of disappointment and full of countless struggles, you will know that you know the bread of life. He gave his life for you. He loves you. And guess what? This is not all there is. That thing that you long for, that place that you long for, he is preparing a place for you. And we can have that eternal life in our hearts now. We can have, our, we can have joy in the midst of our struggle. We can have joy in the midst of our, um, of our, of our work because we know that none of that will truly satisfy. That's where true freedom comes. That we're, that's where true joy comes. When we know that we are filled up. We are filled up. We can go and live for God. We have the Holy Spirit. The God himself living inside of us. What more could we need? He will give grace, comfort, knowledge, and wisdom. He is ready to forgive and he is ready to love us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, you are the one that our heart longs for. Uh, we thank you that uh, you have given us um, uh, vividly in your scripture. Uh, you are standing right in front of us and you're saying, it's me. It's me. Lord, help us to come to you, to take off the burdens that we carry, to put them on your shoulders. Help us to fall on our knees and to receive the gift of your body and of your blood. Lord, we thank you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.